Well, good morning, Mercy Culture. So good to see you this morning. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Church. Somebody said, who is that? It's been four weeks since I've been in the pulpit, and it is such uh, an honor and a blessing to be back with you guys this morning. I've been itching, so buckle up. This is going to be good. No, we're so glad to have you today. The vision of Mercy Culture Church is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. I see some of you mouthing it in the congregation this morning because we say that all the time here at Mercy Culture Church. And what that means is simply that it has never been our goal to just have good church services. But how many enjoyed that worship service this morning? Incredible presence of the Lord. But we know that true life change happens when we can encounter God like we did this morning every single day. Because if we can get to the place that we can hear the voice of the Lord and have the faith to step out in obedience to do what he told us to do, there is nothing we can't accomplish. It will change every part of our lives. And so daily encounters with God is the center of everything that we do at Mercy Culture Church. I've been in full-time ministry for over 20 years and served the Lord for most of my life. And I have never seen somebody be sustained in their faith without daily encounters with God. And there's been, uh, you know, back years ago, I think there was a disservice that we did in the house of the Lord where we just told people, come to church, come to church, come to church. Now, I'm a church boy. I love the house of God, and I believe in the local church and the importance of corporate encounters. But corporate encounters alone will not sustain us. We have to be able to hear God's voice at our job and driving down the road and doing the dishes at home and taking care of the babies and all of the things that we do. We need to encounter God's presence every day. And sometimes we feel like the only way that we can encounter God is the way the pastor encounters the Lord or the work worship team encounters the Lord. But in mercy culture, we know there, are, there is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. But in Jesus, there are many ways to connect with God. And that just means that some of us connect with God through solitude, like the video that we saw this morning, and some through conversation, and some through movement. There are many ways to connect with the Lord, and we want to help you discover how you best connect with God. And that is what our membership process is, MC Connect, and really it's our discipleship process. It's the way that we disciple people. Because, you know, you can have all of the counseling in the world, but if you're not encountering God and hearing God's voice every day, Day, it's going to be useless to you. You've got to be in the presence and encounter God every day. And so if you've been coming to Mercy Culture for a while and you've been tossing around the idea about coming and being a part, we would love to share with you more about who we are, about our values, our vision, our unique characteristics and leadership standards. And most importantly, we would love to help you discover how you best connect with God. Just text the word CONNECT to 59090. A link will be sent to you. You can watch some videos. And then what I think is the most incredible and unique part about Mercy Culture is at the end of that process, you have a one-on-one -on -one connect appointment with MC Connectors. And these are folks within our community that we have identified as having a prophetic gift on their lives. And they fast and they pray for you. And when you sit down and talk to them, they will deliver to you a prophetic word, what God is speaking over your life and present to you your daily encounter, God, and help begin that process of discipling you into a daily encounter with the Lord. How many of you are excited about MC Conference? Come on. MC Conference is coming up this weekend. It starts on Friday, and it will be in Fort Worth at the Fort Worth Convention Center and all the locations of Mercy Culture, Mercy Culture Espanol, Mercy Culture Fort Worth, Mercy Culture Online, and Mercy Culture Waco will all be together at the Fort Worth Convention Center on Friday, Saturday. And then on Sunday morning, we are having a service in Fort Worth that you are all invited to attend, but we will also be having church right Right here in Waco, Texas. So don't think that church is canceled because we're having it at the convention center. We'll be having it here as well. So welcome to the tent this morning. 
We want to thank you for being here with us. This is our temporary location. If you didn't know that building you passed that says Mercy Culture all over it, that's our building. We purchased that and this property. Come on, to God be the glory. And we are in the middle, that's all right, of remodeling that building. We hope to be in it by the end of the year. So be praying with us that that will happen. So uh, if you would, if you want to text the word notes to 59090, everything that's in front of me will be sent to you and you can follow along. I got a lot of scripture this morning. Who's ready to dive into the word with us? Let's begin in Genesis chapter nine, verse 20. It says, now Noah, a man of the soil proceeded to plant a vineyard, but when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and placed it across their shoulders. And walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. And verse 24 says, When Noah awoke from his drunkenness and learned that his young, what his youngest son had done, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also declared, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the servant of Shem. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May he dwell in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be his servants. I've come to tell you this morning that mercy expands territory. Come on, let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, Lord, we thank you for your glorious presence that is already in this tent this morning. Lord, we thank you for what you have already released in this place. And God, we declare in the name of Jesus, no spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this house. Come on, declare it with me. No spirit but the Holy Spirit is welcome. Father, we come against every spirit of performance, comparison, and the need to impress. We lay it down. We are here this morning for an audience of one. Father, I pray that you would take the words from my lips, that you would clothe them in your anointing, that it would reach the hearts of hurting people today. Lord, I pray that what you want to be spoken would be spoken. And we don't make room for you this morning. We give you the room. It all belongs to you. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. 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 2022 is the year of expanding territory. Family, this is the prophetic word over Mercy Culture Church for this year. And if it's the prophetic word over this house and you are connected to this house, it means that that's the prophetic word over your house. And I felt a a warning in my spirit this morning to pastor you a little bit. Do not grow weary in stewarding prophetic words. Come on. Don't grow weary in stewarding prophetic words. So many of us are kind of run from place to place looking for another word, another person to lay hands on us, another person to deliver us a prophetic word, another place for us to get something from the Lord, and then we receive it and we don't steward that word well. A prophecy is not a guarantee. A prophecy is an invitation for you to couple your faith with that word from God. But we have to steward those prophecies well. We have to steward what God has given to us well. And this year of expanding territory is a 1 Chronicles 4.10 year. It's the prayer of Jabez. And we have been encouraging you to pray this prayer over your family every single day. Pray it over your children, over your spouse, over your business, over yourself, over your home. It says this, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, if that you would bless me indeed and enlarge and expand my territory, that you'd put your hand of favor upon me and keep me from all harm and evil, that it might not bring me pain. And we have members that have been stewarding that word and have bought houses that they couldn't qualify for and have gotten jobs that they weren't qualified for and expanded their businesses in ways that they never thought possible. Why? Because they didn't just hear the word and let it fall. They stewarded the word of the Lord. And we are coming into the final quarter of 2022. Can you believe it? I said, can you believe it? 
It's, it's incredible. We're at the end of the year. I can't, it's like a science fiction novel, 2023. Anyways, we're at the end of the year, and this is the season not to allow this word to fall to the wayside. Don't grow weary, but steward the prophetic word over your house well. This is the year of expanding territory in every way, in every aspect we are expanding spiritual territory. We're expanding territory in our families, in our businesses, in every way. And this story that, that we're reading this morning in the book of Genesis, the story of Noah and his sons, nobody expanded territory quite like Noah and his family. You know, nothing will quite expand your territory like God killing everybody else on earth except for you. Now, that is not the prayer that we're praying. Please do not say, God, kill all my enemies. Let me take over their territory. That's not the prayer that we're praying. But Noah and his sons were in this position that God wiped out everybody on earth, but through his mercy, he saved them and their family. Look what God was able to accomplish through Noah and his sons by what? Their unity. See, Noah and his sons came into unity with the word that God spoke to Noah. God spoke to Noah, and Noah came into unity with that word and stepped out in obedience to the word from the Lord. And Noah's sons came into unity with Noah and stepped out in obedience to their spiritual authority that heard from God. And they were blessed beyond measure. In Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, we see the blessing. It says, then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply. Does that sound familiar? God reiterated the blessing that he prayed over Adam and Eve, who squandered that blessing, and he gave it to Noah and his sons. It says, fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I've given you grain and vegetables. I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. Unity commands a blessing. We see it in the Bible over and over again, the blessing of God that comes from unity around obedience to the voice of the Father. Unity is one of the leadership standards here at Mercy Culture Church. If you've been through MC Connect, you've learned about our culture. But our culture consists of four things, the vision of our church, which we all know, the values of our church, which I'm excited to announce that in October, we're going to begin a series on the values of Mercy Culture Church, and we're going to dive into each one, expanding territory through heaven's culture. It also consists of the unique characteristics of Mercy Culture, which is simply this. We ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, why do you want another church in Fort Worth? And why do you want another church in the city of Waco? And God gave us unique characteristics that he called Mercy Culture to carry. And finally, it consists of our leadership standards. And what that means is these are the non-negotiables. This is, hey, if you're going to be in leadership, if you're going to serve on the serve team, these are the standards that we live by. And one of them is the standard of unity. And we say this, the favor of God is found in unity. Our desire is to be in perfect unity with the Holy Spirit, which brings us into unity with one another. We understand that unity pleases the Lord. There is great power in unity. We see this all throughout the word in Psalms 133.1. It says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In Philippians 2 verse 1, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being what? United in spirit and purpose. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 says, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, say united, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. But I have a caution for you this morning. 
Unity does not mean that we come into unity with the world. You see, right now, uh, unity has come to mean in a lot of circles, never saying anything opposed to my agenda. We hear politicians get up and talk about unity and then curse half of the country. We hear politicians and leaders in various spheres, and we see it in CEOs, and we see it in the education system. They get up and they talk to us about unity in one side, and then they curse us from the other side because we have adopted a worldly definition of unity. Unity is a buzzword right now in our society, and most of the time, it's used as a tactic to manipulate you into compromising your beliefs and coming into agreement with the world's. That's not unity. That's compromise and conformity. The question we have to ask is, what are we unifying around? What are our shared values? What are the moral truths that we are unifying around? We don't come into unity just because it's the word that was used. Because when people say come into unity, they means do what I want you to do. A lot of times when we don't have a biblical worldview of unity, they're saying abandon your values, your morality, your opinions, and come into alignment with mine, right? Unity does not always mean total agreement. Even in the biblical definition of unity, it doesn't mean that we have to always agree on everything. We have unity around essential truths of the faith. As a church family, we are unified around the Bible. We are unified around the fact that the Bible is the infallible word of the living God. And even if I have a difference of opinion with what is written in the word, I choose to align my mind and my spirit and my opinions with the word of God. Because I don't know about you, but I learned a long time ago, he's smarter than me. And so there are some things I just don't have the luxury of having an opinion about because God lays it out for me. So we come into unity around that, but we can still be in disagreement in other areas and be in unity. In unhealthy cultures, unity is often an abandonment of your own opinions. In an unhealthy place, unity can sometimes mean that you are required to become thoughtless are mindless and lay aside all of your opinions and thoughts and 100% agree with everything that a leader tells you to agree with. And family, whenever I was preparing for this message, I felt the spiritual opposition against this word unity. Because I know that in the house of God and in businesses and in unhealthy places that probably most of us in this room have been a part of at one point or another, the word unity has been weaponized against us. And people can often feel and think that if I come into unity, I have to give up my right to think, my right to have an opinion my right to think differently than somebody else. But unity is anything but mindless. It is actually the opposite. True unity is an acknowledgement of our differences and a decision to move forward in unity despite those differences. Can I pastor you this morning? Some of you, about three of you. Can I pastor you this morning? Good, I was going to do it anyways. Some of us are undisciplined. Some of us are undisciplined in that we believe that if we don't agree and you don't agree with me, we can't come into unity with one another. That's why we, we bounce around from church to church, from job to job, from friendship to friendship, some folks from marriage to marriage. But unity doesn't mean conformity. It means a decision to get our flesh under control. That we say, Holy Spirit, have you called me to be in this marriage? Have you called me, God, to be submitted at this church? Have you called me to be submitted in this job for this season? Then, Lord, even when I have a disagreement, I choose to get my flesh under subjection. I choose to discipline myself, to take on the mind of Christ, and to come into unity with your word See, unity, Ham could have disagreed with his father and remained in unity with him. 
I'm not up here telling you that what Noah did was a beautiful thing. Look, Noah got drunk, and in Texas, we don't say nakedness. We say he got naked. <laughs> he got drunk and naked in his tent. And nobody in this room wants to see their father drunk and naked. Nobody wants to see that. And Ham walked by, and he saw it, and he could have been in disagreement with his father and still remained in unity with him. But what opened the door to the possibility of disunity in Genesis chapter 9? Well, let's go to verse 20. It says, Now Noah, a man of the soil, which simply means he was a farmer, he proceeded to plant a vineyard. And some theologians believe that this may be the first intentionally planted vineyard. But when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and uncovered himself inside of his tent. There are a lot of commentary about this scripture, and many theologians, especially Jewish theologians that, that study every aspect of the Hebrew, say that this wine, drinking of the wine, is, a, is a, an, an allegory for Noah imbibing the culture of his day. So you have to understand, Noah and his sons were just delivered from total sin and debauchery. The world had fallen into such a sinful state that God had to wipe out every living human being on earth except for Noah and his family. The Bible says that God looked upon Noah and said he was a righteous man of his age or in his age. Now, there's a lot in that in that little phrase, in his age. What the Bible is teaching us there is that we ought not judge people in the age in which we live. We ought to judge people in the age in which they lived. There's a lot there. We'll, we'll preach about that later. But God spoke. God said, look, Noah is righteous for his time period. He's righteous in his age. He may not be righteous to us today if he were alive. But at that time, God said there's a righteousness on him. I'm going to save humanity from this sin and debauchery. Noah and his sons lived in a world where people were drunk constantly, where people were living uh, sexual promiscuity. They were living these lives of unabated fleshly pursuits. And what happened? God delivered Noah and his sons through the mercy of the Lord from that sin and debauchery and saved his life. And one of the first things Noah did when he stepped off of that boat is he went back to the culture that God delivered him from. He went back and began to fill himself up with the culture that God had snatched himself out of. You see, he filled with himself with something because he had allowed himself to become empty. If you are empty this morning, you will find something to fill yourself with. I said, if you are empty this morning, you will find something to fill yourself with. And then when Noah went back to the culture that God delivered him from and began to fill himself with it, Noah became what? Naked and uncovered. You see, your lack of covering and nakedness opens the door to disunity. Noah's nakedness led his son to be cursed. There's so many people that are walking around uncovered. We refuse to be submitted to the house of God. We refuse as a society to be submitted to the word of God. And we refuse to do as the Bible tells us to submit one to another. Why? Because we so value our own opinion and right to be right that we refuse to be covered. And we go back to the culture and we fill ourselves with the culture and we read the Bible and we say, yeah, that's a little difficult. What does the culture say? And we take the word of God and we compare it to our opinions and our thoughts and our culture instead of taking the culture and putting it in the light of the word of God. You see, the difference between wise and foolish people is that when wise people read the Bible and find something they disagree with, they assume that they're wrong. And when foolish people read the Bible and find something they disagree with, they assume that the Bible is wrong. But the Bible is right. God's word is the truth. Let every man be a liar. And when you walk around naked and uncovered, you open yourself up to take on the false coverings of the enemy. But what are we supposed to clothe ourselves with? 
Well, the Bible says to clothe ourselves in righteousness. We see it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. It says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice or perpetual sin, but as bondservants of God, honor what? All people. Say all people. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. We're to clothe ourselves in salvation. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. We are to clothe ourselves in humility. 1 Peter 5.5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Can I get the elders say amen? amen? Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We're to clothe ourselves in joy and gladness. In Psalms chapter 30 verse 11, it says, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. And lastly, we are to clothe ourselves in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13 says, instead, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the desires of the flesh. But everything that God creates, the enemy has a counterfeit for. You see, human beings are the only living creature that has the ability to create like God does. Bible says that he created us in his likeness. See, Satan cannot create anything. The only thing he can do is take what God created and what God and the creativity that man has received from God and pervert it for his own good. So there is a counterfeit to every garment that God has created for us to clothe, our, clothe ourselves with. For the garment of righteousness, he has created the counterfeit garment of sin. You see, righteousness is not merely the rejection of sin. It is the pursuit of holiness. Righteousness is not the absence of something. It is the presence of something. We must pursue holiness. Rejecting sin is just the first step. But we have to pursue through daily encountering the presence of the Lord, righteousness. For the garment of salvation, the enemy has created for you to wear the garment of shame. And shame is a beautiful garment. It's very attractive. Shame will make you look good. Shame is slimming. Shame looks good on everybody. It's an attractive garment. It's something that, that you want to grab a hold of. Shame tells you that you can't rest in the knowledge that we are saved through the faith in Jesus Christ alone. Shame tells you that every time you step out to begin to do what God's called you to do, shame will begin to whisper, pick up this garment, pick up the garment of yesterday. They don't know about you. They don't realize what you did last week. They don't know about your life five years ago. They don't understand the thoughts of your mind. You ought to be ashamed. You should hide. You should cover yourself in this beautiful, warm, cozy blanket of shame. For the garment of humility, there is the garment of pride. And pride is a flashy garment. Pride is the first thing that jumps out to us when we open the closet in the morning. That pride is something that we desire to wear and put on as a protective shield because humility is vulnerable. Humility requires ourselves to acknowledge that we don't always have it right. If every time somebody gives you advice, your response is, oh, yeah, I've been feeling that, you might be struggling with humility. If every time somebody tries to give you feedback, you already knew all the answers, we might be struggling with humility. Because humility, ladies and gentlemen, is not a destination. Humility is a journey. Humility is something we must pursue every day. I wish it was just a place we could get to and that was it, but it's not. Humility is something we have to pursue every day. I see a lot of wives poking their husbands. <laughs> Humility is something we have to pursue. For the garment of joy and gladness, the enemy has created for us the garment of ingratitude. 
and fear and victimhood. See, we're in a culture today that wears ingratitude as if it were some kind of virtue. And out of all the ugly human traits, and there are many, it seems we humans have this uncanny knack to create ugly traits for ourselves, don't we? But out of all the ugly human traits, I don't think there's an uglier one than ingratitude. And we have people in, in society that, that reward an ungrateful heart. That teach us, either explicitly or implicitly, that there's something virtuous about being ungrateful. Ungrateful for the country that we live in. Ungrateful for the family that we have. Ungrateful for the word of God that was given to us. We find something to be ungrateful about. And we reject gratitude as a society. And gratitude is the opposite of joy and gladness. You cannot be filled with joy and be ungrateful. We have a society that is giving to us and feeding us through every aspect of media and education, at work, and in social life, a spirit of fear. Be afraid of COVID. Be afraid of monkeypox. Be afraid of variant B.36729844. Be afraid of this. Be afraid of that. Be afraid of global warming. Be afraid of global cooling. Be afraid of too much rain. Be afraid of not enough rain. Be afraid it's too hot. Be afraid it's too cold. Be afraid of media. Be afraid because there's not enough media. It's constant, nonstop fear. And in our society, we have been told that if you, the more afraid you are, the more intelligent you are. That fear has become equated to expertise. It's become a badge that we wear of honor. You are not, you don't care about people because you're not afraid. And we wear victimhood. This garment of victimhood that the enemy has so beautifully sewn and laid out and prepared for us. Again, victimhood has become currency in our society. The higher you are on the victimhood ladder, the less responsibility you have to take for your actions. The more systemic victimhood that I can pick up and wear because of my race, my gender, my socioeconomic status, because who I decide to sleep with and who I don't decide to sleep with, the more I can pick up, the more labels and badges of victimhood, the less I'm responsible for the success or the failure in my everyday life. You cannot be joyful and be a victim. And finally, God created for us the garment, the most beautiful garment of all, the garment of his son, Jesus, that we are called to clothe ourselves in every day. And the enemy has created the garment of the flesh that says, hey, whatever you want to do, that's what you should do. You feel like you're this, go be that. You telling five-year-old children, you feel like a boy today, be a boy. You feel like a girl today, be a girl. What is that? It is the pursuit of the flesh. It is the rejection of who Jesus Christ is and who he created you to be and the pursuit of the flesh. Come on, it's all right. I got the one clap. It's okay. <laughs> Family and Mercy Culture Church, we are not afraid. Come on, I love you, I'm here for you, but I am not here to audition for you or entertain you this morning. And if sometimes when I preach you're uncomfortable, good. If you go to church and you're never uncomfortable, run away because you aren't spiritually growing. Nobody hires a personal trainer and goes to the gym and says, make me comfortable. You're not looking for a spiritual leader. You're looking for a spiritual masseuse, and you're in the wrong place. How do we clothe ourselves in these things? God bless you. Praise God. How do we clothe ourselves in these things? We pursue the presence of the Lord and encounter him daily. We have daily encounters. If you are encountering God daily, he will clothe you in righteousness and joy and peace and holiness. And he will give you the mind of Christ and the heart of the Father. We don't have to pursue perfection. Thank you, Jesus, because I'm not perfect, and neither are you. We don't have to pursue perfection. We just need to pursue him. We need to pursue a relationship with him. But you see, Noah, 
abandoned his relationship with God, went back to the culture that he was delivered from and opened the door to discord. And when he did, Ham walked through it. Ham, this is a man that has just stepped off the ark of mercy, the very vehicle that was created to show he and his family mercy, to rescue them from the wrath of God, and yet he refused to extend that same mercy to his very own father. The word ham in Hebrew is yacham, and it means to be hot, but mostly in a mental sense, to be excited or angered. The noun hema mostly refers to severe mental burning, anger, or rage. Ham was filled with anger and rage. Ham was the first purveyor of cancel culture. Ham walked by, he pulled out his smartphone, and he started tweeting. Look at the picture I just took. Look at the nakedness of my father. This man that's supposed to be holy. This man that was supposed to lead us out of this unholiness. Look, look at the mistake that he made. God can't use him because look at how he's drunk. Look at the mistakes that he's made. I'm going to do what? I'm going to not show him mercy, but I'm going to reveal and uncover his shortcomings. Why? Why? is that, that that exact same spirit that was on hand is in our culture today. It runs rampant through our society. Why? Because we are led by our emotions. We are led by what we feel. We feel offended, we're offended. We feel like we disagree, we come in disunity. We feel like we don't like what they're doing, we're going to expose them. Because mercy and unity are not op opinions, feelings, or emotions. They are a decision that one has to make. See, Ham decided in his mind and in his heart to sow discord. He made a decision to become offended. He decided to reject teachability because offense is the opposite of teachability. Teachable people are always looking for the pathway of growth. And if you aren't teachable and vulnerable and humble, you will begin to walk in anger, defensiveness, bitterness, and offense. You see, Ham didn't follow what the Bible teaches us to follow, when you feel offended, that does not necessarily make your offense valid. We say, I'm offended, therefore it's valid. But your first question should not be, am I offended? Your first question should be, should I be offended? When you feel offense rise up in your heart, don't just say, well, you offended me and you owe me apology. Take it back to the Lord. Say, Lord, should this offend me? Lord, should this bother me? Or should I extend mercy in this situation? Maybe it's my pride that's offended. Maybe it's my flesh that's irritated in this season. Maybe they didn't do anything. Maybe it's my problem. I don't know about you, but about nine times out of ten when I go to the Holy Spirit and ask him that question, guess what? He says, no, you really shouldn't be offended. Get over it. But that's how God speaks to me. He's pretty direct. <laughs> he may speak to you differently. It was like, suck it up, boy. Get over it. Right? We ask, should we be offended? If you are clothed in humility, you will not be clothed in offense. You can't be clothed in both. And so Ham decided, he picked up a fence and he wore it like a garment, and then he decided to sow discord, and God hates discord. In Proverbs, beginning in chapter 16, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And we jump down to verse 19, it says, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one, another translation says, and the person who sows discord among the brethren. You see, God doesn't just hate discord. The Bible says he hates the person who sows the discord. I do not want to be hated by God. But God so hates discord that he puts it in the word of God, that he hates the one that sows it. I think for many of us, we have 
a, a little confusion around that term discord. And a lot of people think that discord simply means that you are telling lies about somebody else. And you can't be so in discord if you're telling the truth. No, no, no. Discord isn't only telling lies. Discord can be the truth out of season. It can be an exposing of another, even when it's true. If discord was simply lies, both things wouldn't be listed here. You see in that very scripture, it says a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord. Discord is one who uncovers the nakedness of others, who refuses to walk in the same mercy that was shown to them, just like Ham came against the very man whose hands built the vehicle of mercy for he and his family. That is the man he decided to refuse to extend mercy to. And we as believers do the same thing often. We have been given so much mercy, yet we refuse to extend mercy to others, and we uncover the nakedness of others. The withholding of mercy leads to the destruction of legacy. In Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, it says, When Noah awoke from his drunkenness, he learned what his son had done. He said this, Cursed be Canaan. Canaan was the son of Ham. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. When you refuse to walk in mercy, you open yourselves up to the removing of the existence of your legacy. You're removing the memory of your existence. We see this in Psalm chapter 109, beginning in verse 15. This is David. He said, may they be before the Lord continually so that he may eliminate their memory from the earth. Because why? Because he did not remember to show mercy. But the extension of mercy sustains legacy. You are a merciful man, a merciful woman. You create legacy for your family. But I want to give you another caution this morning. Showing mercy does not mean that we partner with carnality or excuse sin, nor does it give you permission to remove yourself from the fight. In Jude chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, it says, And you must show mercy to those who what? Whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. The, the world takes the word mercy and perverts it and tells us that if we're going to be Christians, we must excuse and partner with the perpetrators of evil agendas. My question for them is, where is the mercy for their victims? What you will see is anytime you begin to call out evil agendas, people will say, my, how Christian of you. That's the first thing that you see. That's what my, the DMs in my Instagram are filled with, right? My, how Christian of you. Stop cramming your religion down my throat. When I posted and began to celebrate the abolition of Roe v. Wade, my inbox just was full of people. Stop cramming your religion down my throat. Stop telling me what to do. Who do you think you are? My, how Christian of you to do this. But listen, mercy is not partnering with evil, murderous agendas. Mercy is not the ignoring of evil. Sometimes the greatest act of mercy we can show is to expose the evil agendas of others and do as Jude tells us to do, snatch them from the flames of judgment. Mercy is not withholding. It's not withholding mercy to expose evil agendas. It is actually the merciful thing to do. Worship team, if you would come up. So we know what mercy is and what does true mercy look like. Let's go back to Genesis 9 and verse 23. It says, Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and placed it across their shoulders. And walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father. You see, Shem and Japheth were submitted to the authority that God placed over them. 
And they chose to partner with obedience instead of to partner with pride and self-righteousness. You see, there is no scripture that tells us that Shem and Japheth were getting drunk to celebrate coming off the ark. There's no scripture that shows us that they were walking in unrighteousness. Shem and Japheth probably had every right to be frustrated. They probably had every right to walk in some form of self-righteousness. To look at their father and say, I can't believe he would do that. I can't believe he would act that way. And to come into agreement with their brother Ham and just expose what he had done. But they decided to walk in humility. And their humility preceded their honor. In Proverbs 15, it says, fear of the Lord teaches wisdom and humility precedes on honor. You see, Shem is the father of the Semitic people. The word Semitic comes from the word Shem. He is the father of the Jewish people, the ancestor of the Jews, and that makes him the ancestor of Jesus. The mercy that he extended, the submission to his spiritual authority led to the solidification of his legacy. They chose to honor their authority and God chose to honor them. One of the values at Mercy Culture Church is honor. And as we were coming into Waco to plant Mercy Culture, began to pray and ask the Lord, what are the principalities, the spiritual strongholds over our city? And we felt like one of them was a spirit of dishonor. So what we do is lift up honor as the highest authority over that spirit of dishonor. Dishonor can manifest itself in many ways. But as I was preparing this message this morning, I felt the resistance on this word honor, just like I felt it on the word, uh, on the word unity. How honor, just as unity, has been weaponized to abuse and control people. But at Mercy Culture, we say it this way. We say we are governed by honor because honor reflects heaven's value. Honor protects freedom, creates safe places, and reflects a kingdom identity. Honor is about self-control, not control. Honor is not something forced upon you. It's something you decide to extend to others. So we read this story and we learn about the discord and the disunity of Ham and we, we read this story. My question for you is, who are you this morning? Are you Noah? Are you empty, needing to be filled up with something? Are you empty and you've been searching and looking to the culture to find a way to fill yourself up? Are you empty and naked, uncovered and unsubmitted, not clothed in the things of the Lord, but picking up the counterfeit clothing and clothing ourselves in that. Are, are, are you ham this morning? Prideful and offended and unsubmitted and filled with animosity and bitterness. Are we Shem and Japheth, those that lay aside our right to be offended and pick up mercy? Genesis chapter 9 shows us the blessings that come from unity and the building of the ark and obeying God. It shows us how Ham's disunity caused the destruction of his legacy. And it shows us Shem and Japheth's mercy expanding their territory. In verse 26, God says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be servants of Shem. And may God expand the territory of Japheth. Everybody, if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. Wherever you find yourself in this story today, in this sort of continuum of humanity, if you find yourself in the position of Noah, empty, needing something to fill yourself with, if you find yourself in the position of Ham, 
just uncomfortable, angry, bitter. Sometimes we don't even understand why we feel offended in the way that we do. Or you find yourself being drawn to mercy and wanting to pursue the mercy of the Lord more. Wherever you find yourself this morning, there is mercy for you today. The Bible says that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. So in the name of Jesus, I rebuke shame. Come on, partner with that word this morning. I rebuke shame. Shame, you have no right to rest upon any person here. Shame, you have no right to cripple the people of God with guilt. Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And Jesus, I pray that you would release the mercy that you would release your mercy this morning. God, that you would forgive us for picking up offenses. That you would forgive us for revealing and sowing discord. God, that you would forgive us for becoming empty and naked and uncovered. God, that you would be like Shem, that you would be like Shem and Japheth and that you would back into our tent and you would cover us with your mercy this morning. As I was praying today, I felt like the Lord was going to release a spirit of deliverance. Deliverance from living under pride, offense, and discord. And he was going to bring a revelation of godly unity, honor, and mercy that we as a people would no longer fear unity. We would no longer fear honor, and we would no longer fear mercy. Come on, let's just stand up to our feet. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just lift our hands in an act of surrender this morning. God, we surrender it all to you, Jesus. Lord, we surrender our right to be offended. Lord, we surrender our right, God, to find fault in others. We surrender self-righteousness this morning. And God, we pursue your mercy. Jesus.